St. Paul encourages us to practice charity. And his epistle is clear. If your enemy is hungry, give him to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him to drink. And St. Teresa tells us that we will be judged on the strength of our love, our love for God, our charity. And love for God is authentic only when it includes love for neighbor. Neighborly love is a thermometer of charity. So we will be judged on, on neighborly love. Because the love, true Christian charity, the love of God always includes love of neighbor. And thus St. Paul asks the, his, uh, his faithful, he asks them to do good, not only before God, but also before men. A soul that prays to God with fervor and never misses their rosary or other regular devotions is certainly doing good before God. But that's not enough. Personal piety can sometimes be selfish piety. Uh, Inward-looking, self-interested piety. And unless we have a particular vocation to live one's life polishing one's soul and making sure that we get to heaven is not to live, Christ, live our lives as Christ lived his life. Pharisees did just as much. They polished their souls and it was all about them and, and securing their eternal salvation. They didn't care for their neighbor. So salvation comes from the love that we have for God and by divine ordinance it also comes from the love we have for neighbour. So we will be judged on our love for God and for our neighbour. So salvation depends therefore on our worry and concern for our neighbour's welfare and well-being. Not obviously a worry and a concern that is of an interfering or meddling sort. But God wants us to love them in such a way that we're ever ready to help them directly or indirectly. Community service, such as mopping floors and cleaning toilets, is a form of Christian charity, making things better for others. It's part of the virtue of charity, the sort that saves our souls. Our Lord, he lived only for others. And if we are to produce the pattern of his life in, uh, in our own lives, that is our vocation, then we, it means that we will only live for others. We will not live for ourselves, but we, should, we will live for others. We're allowed, of course, to look to our own repose and comfort, but these must always be second to those of our neighbor. Service of neighbor becomes, comes before service of self. So who is my neighbor? Well, our spouse is our neighbor, for starters. So wives have to think of their husbands, and husbands have to think of their wives. Both have every excuse to be served by the other, but each 
understand or should understand that love dictates giving before receiving. Um, our, our neighbor, our neighbor is our, our children. The children who clamor for much and give little in return. And yet we must serve them and thus bring them up to understand that they are, in turn, to serve others when they come of age. And that's pretty much education in a nutshell. Helping children, teaching children to think of others before they think of themselves. And neighbourly love, charity, the, the, the sovereign command of Christian charity applies also to children. Who is my neighbour? My neighbour is my brother and sister. So instead of fighting, we should be serving one another, especially when it comes to house chores or, or working about the house. And we should always wish for the success of our brother or sister more than for our own success. So neighbour is he or she in need, in need perhaps of material help, most certainly in need of attention, friendship, affection, a word or gesture of kindness and support. But the supreme love, the supreme love, the sort of love that is pictured above the altar, we don't have our Lord being nice to people, we have our Lord crucified upon the cross. So the supreme love, the love that fashions our hearts into replicas of our Lord's most sacred heart, it's the love of our enemies, those who have upset us or hurt us, those who speak unkindly or dishonestly of us. Our enemy remains our neighbour, whether we or they like it or not. And we must seek to do them good, as our Lord sought to do us good when we were his enemies uh, through original sin and all the other sins we've committed. And when we seek to do our enemy good, we amass upon him hot coals. Coals, the fathers of the church tell us, coals that are of regret and contrition for any bad turn they may have done us. And hopefully, coals that will bring them to repentance and forgiveness. So I, I knew a soul who practiced this sort of heroic charity. This person was crucified by the hand of the man she loved to the most painful of crosses, which was infidelity. Uh, her husband didn't want to do her any harm. He simply didn't love her anymore, and he wanted to have fun elsewhere, even in his twilight years. And disgusted, uh, this uh, lady could have left her husband and was certainly entitled to do so. After all, the children were grown up and gone, but she did not want to abandon him to his vice. She decided to live out her marital vows to the full but in a somewhat different manner to what she had anticipated or hoped for. She would love her husband as Christ loved him. At that very moment, Christ loved lepers, 
and her husband was a leper. Christ died for sinners, and she accepted the silent self-immolation of remaining the wife of a pig. He had spurned her, her heart was broken, and yet at every communion she asked for a fullness of love for her, her unfaithful husband. And despite such a cross, she was always very kind and attentive to others, most of whom had no inkling of the sort of cross she carried. She was a good woman. She was a simple soul, simple in that she had a clear understanding of, of, of the duties she had laid out for her, 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 herself. And she was a soul chosen by God to become a saint. Seeking to vanquish evil, not with more evil, but with good. So she practiced a charity that was heroic. So it's not given to all. She had to take counsel before, before coming to these sorts of decisions, because they can break you, they can break other souls. So she had the, the psychological, the physical psychological makeup to practice that sort of heroic charity. And she attained the plenitude of love. The sort of love um, that the spiritual writers call the unitive plane of the spiritual life. And, and when you die in that state, you, you don't go to purgatory. You go straight to heaven. So, my dear brethren, the lesson we can learn from such an example, such an extreme example is this. Again, not given to everybody to practice. But the example we can, we, we can learn is that we should confront our trials and anxieties, not by complaining, not by hitting out, but by asking ourselves one simple question. How can this, this difficulty, this obstruction that providence seems to have thrown in, into my path, how can it increase my love for God? We should evaluate everything in our lives um, through the prism of Christian charity. How can this or that improve my love for God? Does this reduce, strangle my love for God? Because if it does, then I need to avoid it. And to, to act thus is to exercise great faith, to be able to see God's hand, God's will, and a chance of aligning our will to God's will, to, to be able to see that in everything that happens to us and in all the people around us and everybody with whom we must transact, that takes tremendous faith. And it's faith that heals and makes whole. Just like with the leper, just like with the centurion. It's their faith that is rewarded. And if we have faith enough to see God in our neighbor and in our enemies, then God will acknowledge that by infusing into our hearts uh, greater and greater charity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.